Now, I've heard it. I've not run into this, but some seem to have more faith in a preacher than they do God. I heard these two guys that got shipwrecked on a desert island. And one started yelling, we're going to die. We're going to die. There's no food here. There's no water here. We're going to die. And the second guy, I wasn't saying anything. He just leaned back, sat down on a, against a palm tree and was calm as he could be. And, he, and this was driving the other guy crazy. He kept saying, don't you understand? We're going to die. We're going to die. We may have survived the, the shipwreck, but we're going to die. He said, and the other guy says, uh, you know, you don't understand. I make $100,000 a week. And the first guy said, well, what difference does that make? $100,000, well, you're not making it now. You're on a desert island. There's no food. There's no water. We're going to die. And he says, you just don't understand. I make $100,000 a week, and I tithe 10% every week. My preacher will find me. <laughs> I haven't met that brother, but... Not everyone puts their faith in God totally. Heard of this fellow, his name was Oscar, Uncle Oscar. Uh, he was uneasy about making his first plane ride. He'd never been on an airplane before. And so he went up, he came back, and all of his friends were really eager because they knew he was scared, really nervous about it. And so they asked him, well, how did it went? Did you love it? What was it like? Did you enjoy your flight? And they said, well, it wasn't as bad as I was expecting or how bad I thought it would be. But I have to tell you all the truth. I never really put all my weight down. If you're on a sailboat in need of wind, pray for wind, but set the sails. Hudson Taylor tells about that very thing. It was a long time ago. This is back when there were only sailboats, and Hudson Taylor was going to do mission work in China. The wind died down, and the current was carrying them toward a reef off of an island of cannibals. And yes, they existed then. And in his journal, he wrote, the captain said to me, well, we've done everything that we can do. And I replied, no, there's one thing we have not done yet. There's four of us on board that say they're Christians. Let's all retire to our cabin and agree in prayer and ask the Lord to give us immediately a breeze. Taylor, Hudson Taylor, went back to his cabin and he prayed briefly. He was certain that the answer would come. And he went out on deck and he asked the first officer to let down the sails. And the first officer said, why? What good would that do? And he said, I told him that we had been asking for a wind from God, and it was coming immediately. Within minutes, the wind began, and it carried them past the reef. How do you pray? Do you believe such things? It's something we need to focus on here this morning, and this is really critical because a lot of people misunderstand what I'm saying right now. It's faith that God can do, not 
believing he has to. Huge difference in the concept. Let's walk that path just a minute. It's faith that God can. It's not if he can, but if he will. Psalm 78, 19 through 20, verse 18 says, They tested God in their hearts by asking food of their fancy. Verse 19, they spoke against God. Can God prepare a table in the wilderness? You see the difference? Can he? Verse 20, behold, he struck the rock so that the waters gushed out and streams overflowed. And then they said, can he give bread in the wilderness? Can he provide meat to our liking? And then verse 41, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. Can he? You see the difference? It's not that he has to, but can he? Secondly, it's not if he can, but if he will in every text. In Matthew 8 and verse 8, the centurion, as you recall, was asking for his servant, not for himself. But he says, Lord, I'm not worthy for you to come underneath my roof. Only speak a word and my servant will be healed. But you see, he had to speak the word. It wasn't if he can, it was if he would. It's not if he can, it's if he will. Mark 5 and verse 28. If only I may touch the hem of his garment, I shall be healed. It's not that I know he will heal. Because he could choose not to, but it all depends on an if. If he chooses to allow this to happen, then he can do it. In Mark chapter 9, verses 22 through 24, not if he can, but if he will, when it says, if you can do anything, help us. This is about the, the son who was possessed, that threw himself into the water and into the fire. And it was often like that. It says, if you can do anything. And I love the answer that Jesus gave. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And then, of course, he made the confession, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. It's not a qu- question of if God can. See, limitless faith no, knows God can. Knows, not thinks, not hopes God can. God can. It's up to him as to whether or not he wills to do it. And there's many things like that. But the problem is, in many ways, we limit God and we don't recognize we're limiting God. We don't think we're limiting God. We think we're just being good and smart. And often our faith ends up limiting God. We limit God by our cultural traditions, for example. In Mark chapter 7, verse 8, it says, Laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the traditions of men. The washing of pitchers and of pots and such things. And you hold that above it. What happens in our faith is often our faith ends up being limited because our traditions prevent us from believing. Yeah. But more than that, it, we limit God by our sin, our contemptible behaviors and attitudes. In Luke chapter 5 verse 8, Peter fell victim to that very thing when he fell down at Jesus' knees after he performed that miracle of getting all the fish. And he said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He did not see that he could be a part of it because he was aware of his sin. Some of you sit there saying, God would never do for me because I'm such a sinner. Every person in the room is such a sinner. 
And everybody out of the room is such a sinner. What do, you, what do you think? You think God performs miracles only for the absolutely perfect? It ain't going to happen. That's not the way it works. And that's limiting God. And then we limit God by our comfortable tolerances. We sometimes, we want to act like we want things done. And, but, you know, you can get used to anything. There's a man that was laying sick. And he says to him, do you want to get well? God was healing all these people and somebody said, don't touch me. I'll lose my benefits. You know, sometimes we don't want to get better. Sometimes we just want to wallow in it. I'm sorry. There are people that like, listen to me. I'm not trying to be ugly. That like to wallow in their misery. Because they just want to feel a victim. They just want to feel sorry for themselves. They want everybody else to feel sorry for them. And unless you're feeling sorry for them, they don't think you love them. And the truth is, they're the one lacking love. Because if they loved you, they'd get over a little bit of that. They'd act a little better. They'd try harder. Yeah, that doesn't go down well, does it? Doesn't go down well, but it is the absolute truth. So some people don't want to get well. Now, if you want to get well, I'd go to him, amen? Because he can make you well. He can make you well. And then the last thing in this concept right here, this is just the introduction. The lesson's way longer than this. So it's circumstantial theology. A lot of us have it. Some of you don't believe God can do things today because you haven't seen it. Are you listening to me? Some of you don't believe God answers prayers because it hasn't happened yet for you. And so your theology all hovers around you. That's right. That's exactly right. John chapter 9, here's a guy, Jesus passed by this guy. He saw a man born blind. He was blind from birth. And his disciples who believe in circumstantial theology... Look at this and say, I now, well, we've, it's got to be one or the other. It's got to be either he sinned. In other words, God anticipated something he was going to do once he was born. Or he was innately born with sin somehow in him. Or it was his parents who did something terrible. And that's the reason this man's born blind. And Jesus says, no, it ain't either one of those. And that's the problem. So when you take your circumstance and you create your theology around your own personal experience, you end up coming up with flaky theology. Okay? God can, whether you ever experience it or not. Amen? So that's what we need to get. So there's a guy named A.W. Tozer. He said, God is looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. Yeah, shame, isn't it? Since he can help. I want to look at three ways that we can develop and display limitless faith. Here we go. Number one, limitless faith in a limitless God believes God can move the unmovable. That's all he's talking about in Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 20. We'll just spot read here and there to get through that text. Matthew 17, if you want to turn to it. Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain. Now, we know what mountain that is because the text is very revealing and everybody studied it. It's actually Mount Hermon, which is 9,232 feet high. I don't know if they went all the way to the summit. It doesn't say, does it? But they went up on the mountain. 
And so Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up onto a high mountain. Snow cap most of the year. Verse 2. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Now, dropping down to verse 9. This is, they're coming back down. As they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded, uh, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen. So you've seen something amazing. You know who I am. Verse 20. So Jesus said, because, and they, they got down, they find that there's people down there that the apostles have tried to heal and it didn't work, right? So Jesus said, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, and that's where I'm going, this mountain, a 9,232 foot tall mountain. You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, I want to tell you something. That mountain, as far as I know, has not moved from there yet. It's still there. That's not the point. Listen to what he's saying. If you believe, if you believe, then you believe God can move that mountain. And God can move what you believe to be unmovable in your life right now. But do you believe he can? So many people believe he can't. Number two, limitless faith is in a limitless God believes God can save the unsavable. Okay? Matthew chapter 19, verses 23 through 26. Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly, I say to you that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the reason this is important is because no one on earth is richer than Americans. So if you don't believe you're rich, understand, in comparison to the rest of the world, you are rich. So if this means rich, like just on a scale... You already qualified. I don't care if you're living on fixed income and you don't think you can hardly make your bills. You're rich. Now let me finish it. Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly I say to you that it is hard for a rich man, and I'm talking to them right now, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And no, that means an eye of a needle. Well, then that's impossible. That's exactly his point. That's exactly his point. It is impossible for you to be saved, America. You cannot be saved. That is his point. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Exactly where he wanted them, where they would hear the rest of it. But Jesus said to them, with men, this is impossible. Nobody can save themselves, and you certainly can't do it with money. Nobody can save themselves. But with God, all things are possible. That's called grace. Amen. So can Americans go to heaven? Of course they can. But not by their own power. Not by their own might. Not by their money. Not by their education. Not by their wits. Not because we're the best giving country in the world. No, that's not the way you go to heaven. It's called grace. 
And God can save anyone. He can save what appears to be the unsavable. So if you feel like you're the unsavable person in this room, I'm preaching at you. Number three, limitless faith in a limitless God believes God can conceive the unconceivable. Things you can't even get into your head, he already had in his head, and he already brought them to fruition. Like Jesus. Nobody thought about Jesus coming. The Son of God literally coming to die for us sinners. Nobody even thought of it. In Luke chapter 1, not even the devil could imagine it. Luke chapter 1, verse 30 through 37. It, it is the angel speaking to Mary. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus, Savior. He will be great. Amen. And he will be called the son of the highest. Yes, he is. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And so it is now. And he will reign over the house of Jacob for a little while. No, forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Praise God on that one. Verse 34. Then Mary said, how can this be? She couldn't conceive of it. How could this be? Since I do not know a man. I cannot conceive. I cannot conceive. And I cannot conceive of the idea that God could even do this. Verse 35. The angel answered. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Power of the highest will overshadow you. The Holy One born will be called the Son of God. Just to help you believe it. He says in verse 36. Elizabeth. Your relative has conceived a son in her old age. She couldn't conceive of it either. But she's conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And then it says this, verse 37, For with God, nothing will be impossible. And you know, really, a lot of times you can't believe you could be saved. You can't conceive it. A lot of times you can't receive the message of the scriptures. You just can't conceive it. You can't let it into your head. But the truth is, that's the lesson. God can move the unmovable. God can save the unsavable. And God can conceive the unconceivable. We just struggle with that. So stop asking, can Christ save me? (laughs) No, he can save. Don't think he can. Don't hope he can. No, he can save you. Know it. It isn't a maybe. This is not something theoretical. Quit worrying about it. Quit staying up late at night going, Oh my goodness, Lord, please forgive me. Please, oh, 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 I may die now. Oh, Lord, please forgive me. It's done. It's done. Believe it. Believe. What do we say we believe? He that believeth and is baptized. Okay, do you believe? Believe. Have some faith. Second anniversary, I mean the 20th anniversary of Larry King Live. Is he still alive? It's an odd thing. Anyway. Larry, he uh, he didn't look like it the last time I saw him. That was ugly. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that like that. I mean, he just didn't look healthy. That's what I meant. He didn't look healthy. 
Barbara Walters back in 2005. That sounded ugly. I'm sorry. I apologize to Larry King. But uh, Barbara Walters interviewed him in 2005. And she asked some probing questions. And I, I, I always liked her interview. She asked this question. What is your greatest fear? His answer. Death. Second question. Do you believe in God? Not sure. I'm an agnostic. Listen to me. Put those two together. Uncertainty brings fear. If you're fearful of death, it's the uncertainty of your faith about who you actually serve. He's a good God. Amen? First Scottish missionary to the New Hebrides Islands were eaten that day. The first Scottish missionaries to the New Hebrides Islands were killed and eaten that day. There's two men. They were killed and eaten. Well, you can imagine it took a little while before anybody wanted to volunteer to go back to New Hebrides and finish up the work, right? You want to go where they just killed the last guy and ate him? Finally, they got John G. Patton to go. Well, there were a lot of people that were trying to convince him not to go. His family tried to convince him not to go. His church tried to convince him not to go. That's not a smart thing to do. You know, you. why would you do that? So an elderly man at his church came up to him and says, Those cannibals are going to eat you. Here was his response. I confess that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Fifteen years later, on the Anawa Island, there were almost nobody left that didn't believe in Jesus. John Christostrom, that wasn't his name. I mean, they nicknamed him that. Basically, he was the golden tongue orator. 100,000 people would gather on Sunday to hear him preach. He was brought to uh, where the emperor was, and if they heard him a little while, they threatened to exile him. And somebody asked him, what are you going to do? And he says, what can I fear? Will it be death? You know, Christ is my life and that I shall gain by death. Will it be by exile? The earth and all its fullness is the Lord. Will it be the loss of wealth? We brought nothing into this world and can carry nothing out. Thus all the terrors of the world are contemptible in my eyes and I smile at all its good things. Poverty, I do not fear. Riches, I do not sigh for. Death, I do not shirk from. Why? Because if you believe in a God who can move the unmovable, save the unsavable, and conceive the inconceivable, you got nothing to fear. You know, like Paul, he could say, Paul could easily say, he did that for me. 
And you know what? I can join him in that. Because that is absolutely true for me and my family. He has moved the unmovable. Things I did not think could possibly have changed in my life when I was little. He has saved the unsavable. I'll tell you I would have given our family no hope. And yet now today, not only are we saved, but our kids are saved. And looking to our grandkids to be saved. Something I could have never imagined that that would have been when I was a child. And he conceives the unconceivable. My point exactly, I couldn't even conceive the idea. So if you sit there and doubt, no, God can save. You need to believe in his grace. Believe that Christ provided the way. And you just need to believe. You need to have faith. If you could let it into your heart that Christ can save you through his death. And you would be willing to confess that. What a simple thing, right? An act of faith. I believe Jesus Christ is the risen Lord and Savior. What a simple thing to do. And then for you to say, I'm going to give my life to him. What a simple step. And then we would take you and put you underwater. And you say, oh, you're trying to earn your salvation. No, 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 no. Just a simple step of faith. And God, God saves. Man cannot save. If you would receive it, that's your invitation. Won't you come and have limitless faith while we stand and while we sing?